Greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. My name is Charlie Gross. I am the Associate Executive Presbyter for the Presbytery of Donegal. I'm hosting this podcast series titled Missional Church Conversations, Making It Real. The basis of this conversation will be a series of interviews with a wide variety of leaders in the field of the missional church. These leaders will come in the form of professors, pastors, elders, deacons, sisters and brothers in Christ who are experimenting with new ways of being the church in the world today. My hope is that these conversations will inspire you, challenge you, inform you, change you, and push you into the world with boldness and confidence to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. My guest today is the Reverend Carol Howard Merritt. Carol grew up a Southern Baptist in Florida. From an early age, she felt called to ministry. After college and working for a few years, Carol attended Austin Theological Seminary, where she was both a leader in the student body and excelled academically. Following graduation, Carol and her husband went to Louisiana and later Rhode Island. In both locations, the churches thrived spiritually and numerically. She chaired the Presbyterian Committee on Church Development, served on the Presbyterian Council, and was president of the Community Clergy Association. Carol is married to Brian Merritt, an ordained Presbyterian pastor and the pastor of the Palisades Community Church. She joined the pastoral staff at Western Presbyterian Church in Washington, D.C. in the fall of 2005. Carol has written for the Presbyterian Outlook and is the author of the book, Tribal Church, Ministering to the Missing Generation, which was published by the Auburn Institute in September 2007. Her new book, which is coming out in August, is titled Reframing Hope, and it can be ordered now through Amazon.com. She blogs at www.tribalchurch.org, and you can subscribe to her weekly podcasts at godcomplexradio.com. Carol, thank you so very, very much for joining me on this conference call today. Thank you. It's great to be here. I really appreciate the invitation. Certainly. Carol, my hope is that you can introduce our audience to the concept of the missional church as you see it unfolding in Western Presbyterian Church or in others, other churches with which you're familiar, and maybe give us one or two concrete steps to take toward this way of living out our faith. So let's start with perhaps how you define the missional church and how do you help God's people understand this concept and live missionally. Well, oftentimes I uh, go to workshops and and teach keynotes, and and it's um, a really fascinating process because what I I, I tend to do is I ask the congregation and the people assembled to tell what formed their generation, what sort of music, what sort of pop culture, what sort of economic situation, what sort of political situation formed who they are and who uh, their generation is. And what's so fascinating about this exercise is that we come up with this sort of uh, people's history that, that arises from the group 
Um, people who are in their 80s and 90s, they stand up and they talk about uh, what they went through um, with the Great Depression and living with parents who went through the Great Depression. They talk about the frugality that that just uh, um, that just uh, became a part of everything that they did. And and we go on and we hear about World War II and how women started working and how certain um, children were taken to their aunt's home or, or to their grandmother's home while their moms worked. And we begin to hear about sort of the heydays of the mainline church. And that typically happened after World War II. There was a period in time after World War II where there was a baby boom and everything was expanding. The schools were expanding, clubs were expanding, um, and our churches, our mainline congregational churches were expanding. Then soon after that, we hear about a shift, a shift that happened in culture, it happened in our pop culture and our politics and our economy. And what happened at that point was uh, the, the 60s, and people began to um, come up and tell stories about Watergate and about a distrust that started growing within the country and people begin talking about the civil rights mo- movement and how people of different ethnicities began to uh, stand up for what was right. And they began speaking about the feminist movement and the pill and how rock and roll came and changed so much. And through these different voices, we get to hear about what's been happening in our church since those days in the 1950s. People who are my age typically talk about not learning how to question people in authority, but being raised as questioners and being raised as critics. And, of course, we talk about how technology has greatly influenced our lives. So when I think about the missional church, when I think about missional, uh, uh, our missional practices, I always think about this timeline because in that time of 1957 or so, that time of booming when our churches were adding on Christian education wings to all of our buildings, that was a time when we could throw open our doors and people would stream in. We had a WASP culture, a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant culture. And yet, since then, so much has shifted and changed The ethnicity makeup of our country has changed. Um, Who we are in our religious backgrounds have changed. And now people don't just come to us when we throw open our doors. Instead, we are a church 
that's going out into our communities. We're churches that are looking out in our neighborhoods and finding um, who's hungry, who's thirsty, who's spiritually longing for something. And we learn how to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ as we go out. And, and there's a shift there. You know, it's it's sad in many ways um, that we don't have the numbers and the membership and, and uh, so many things that we had in those booming times. And yet, I'm always very hopeful because we know that when we do open our doors and when people come in, it's not because of some sort of societal expectation that they ought to be in a church and they ought to be Presbyterian because Presbyterian means X in our society. But they're coming in because it's important to them, because Christ is important to them, because they have a longing and a thirst for something. So that is the shift to me that's happening in all many, many of our churches, especially the vital churches, is that we've moved from being churches that we expect people to stream in, and we are learning to go out into our communities and to be people of faith in our context. Mm. Mm. That's, um, that's, that's powerful about the, the, the moving from the opening the doors and expecting people to come in to going out and learning stories and um, getting to know the thirsty, the hungry, the the. the the downtrodden and the people that um, you know that need uh, that need hope and love and God and Jesus Christ. How the question now is how do you how do you help people make this shift in terms of how are you preaching, teaching, coaching, or equipping people to make this to to get them from the looking inward to going and, you know, being outward and going out beyond the doors. Um, is How are you doing that? Well, in my uh, particular context, I, I do it in three ways. Um, the first is sort of education. The second is um, through practice and, and also through my work. So education is um, something that I've been uh, really excited about and passionate about um, for a couple of years now. And what I mean by that is um, sometimes in our congregations and in the life of the church, we have a tendency to um, kind of read our books and and I'm, you know, I'm one of the authors of those books, you know, the church books that you find on every shelf. And it's extremely important and, and extremely um, good to be aware of what's going on in, in church publishing. But the other thing that's going on is um, there's so much happening in sociology. There's so much happening in our demographic shifts. There's so much happening in the newspaper. And, and, and so, in a way, I have learned to be missional and I help other people to be missional in wrestling with some of those outside 
outside sources and um, and pointing them to those and and uh, people point them to me. So, you know, always breathing in new information, not just in the church, but also from the outside of the church. The other thing we do is practice. Um, uh, we have uh, four major ministries that we've helped to start in our congregation, and these things have happened before I got here. There, it's been a very missionally-minded congregation. Um, one of the major things that we have is Miriam's Kitchen, and um, the people in the church talk about Miriam's Kitchen. It, it's a breakfast. It started out as a breakfast program to feed the hungry in our neighborhood. And often what people say about Miriam's Kitchen is we were going out to save the homeless and they saved us. And what they mean by that is when the church started Miriam's Kitchen, when they began to look outside of their own four walls, they began to have a passion for the neighborhood, and they began to have a real sense of being church within their neighborhood. Um, our congregation was about to die before that. In fact, it had gone for a vote on the floor of Presbytery. Um, there were, you know, two or three people who who fought to keep it open, and the Presbytery let them keep it open. And they began feeding people. And through that experience, they were able to have a new passion for what it means to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Mm. Miriam's Kitchen has grown quite a bit. Now we have... Um, a number of social workers on staff. There's case managers on staff. It's now a breakfast program and a dinner program. Um, it's every weekday morning. We have an environmental component to it in that we help to start the neighborhood farmer's market and then people go and they glean from that farmer's market and they get all of the fresh fruits and vegetables that the farmers couldn't use. And so that way we're helping area farmers and we're helping our neighborhood get fresh, fresh produce, which is really important because we have so many college students and, um, and uh, D.C. has a high poverty uh, level. So the, the fresh produce is extremely important. And it's important for local farmers that they have a place where they can sell this produce. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had the, the food that's prepared there is, is fresh, and we hired t- two chefs um, who are just outstanding chefs, and, and they work really hard to... Um, have food with dignity, and the post has the washington post has has said that it's it's one of the best places in town to eat is mm. at um, miriam's kitchen we were honored uh about a year ago um, uh Michelle Obama served here at the kitchen and um and they have given uh 
vegetables and, and fruit from the White House garden as well that we feed to our guests. So it's really been something for our whole neighborhood to get behind and um, and to be a part of. The third thing I would say um, when we are thinking about how to preach and teach and coach people to be missional is my work um, a lot of times uh, I do a lot of writing and blogging within the church world, but I also I blog for the Huffington Post, which um, allows me to have kind of a bigger audience, and, and it also allows me to have an audience that's outside of our own little bubble. And so, um, and my church has really supported this, and it's been it's been wonderful to see because um, the first year that I was here, they they were nagging me and they just kept saying, well, you know, you're doing a great job within these walls, but what can you do outside of the church? And in fact, my personnel um, chair challenged me to take one day a week to do something completely outside of the church. And I wonder if all of our churches did that. You know, if if the staff was allowed to take one day a week and do something completely outside of the church, but something that serves the community. For me, it's writing and being able to to be a prophetic witness um, within uh, not just the church, but also to a broader audience. So those are those are just certain things that we do in our congregation. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I, that's um, that's great, um, and it's concrete. It's uh, it's you know this this podcast is all about what are some concrete steps to take. Yeah. Um, so that's that's excellent. You know, could you let's see? So what would the greatest lessons? learned in in maybe in the practice or the the emphases the Miriam's kitchen the the even the personnel um the 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 sense of the church that's pushing even pastors or pushing staff outside the church what what are lessons that you've learned um along the way as you were on staff and perhaps what advice do you have either for pastors leaders or other church um yeah church leaders uh, mm-hmm. in that regard well i think um one of the most important things that i've learned was uh, when i was the pastor of uh, a, a church of less than 100 members in rural louisiana it was so easy for me to get sucked up into the life of that church so much that I was um, worried about every drama and every family situation. And while that's extremely important, I think I lost my vision a little bit. And I think that we can all do that at some time. It was funny because I remember people saying, oh, you just have a small church, you know, you should only be working 
um, you know, half time there. Why, why do you even work full time there? And I'm sure a lot of small church pastors understand, um, hear that all the time. But in reality, I was working a lot because it was um, because so much of what was going on inside the walls was sort of intensified. And I think in the dozen years that I've been in ministry, I've been able to sort of step back from that and allow um, new ideas and new spirit and uh, new missions to start breathing into the life of the church and um, and they've helped me to learn that here at Western Presbyterian Church because it's such an outwardly focused congregation. It's a church that's always looking to see what's happening in the community and in the world and how we can help. And when we do that, somehow the focus of all of the dysfunctions that might be happening within our congregation they they kind of fizzle away. I mean, you know, when you're when you're thinking about healthcare in Ethiopia, you get a little less concerned about you know whether the banners should be up on Tuesday or not. Mm. <laughs> That's a great example. Yeah. <laughs> well, what um, maybe you could summarize or simply circle back to. What what would you recommend as a couple of uh, practical, concrete steps, something to mm-hmm. make this conversation real or make, you know, give some advice to, again, church leaders to what, what practices could they, should they begin and how would, if, some, if they're looking for ways to turn an inward-looking congregation outward, mm-hmm. what would you suggest uh, to them? Well, I would suggest um, walking your neighborhood and praying, looking at the people in your neighborhood and what sort of needs they might have. So in our neighborhood of um, Western Presbyterian Church, we're in Foggy Bottom, and we're based practically on George Washington University campus. The campus has kind of, you know, been growing up around us. And so when I got here, I would walk around and I'd see kind of the needs of the people around us. And I became very interested in young adults, like what what are 20s and 30-year-olds going through? What is what are their difficulties? And and I found a lot of things. Um, I began to read a lot of generational theory. I began to read a lot about the economic situation of young adults. And um, in fact, this is where tribal church came from. Was just me going and looking at uh, who is in our neighborhood. And I began to see some of those invisible things that were happening in our neighborhood. Um, What I didn't realize when I first came here was how many people were really struggling with debt. And, uh, you know, people 
mm-hmm. come to our church and and they look you know they they look great you know <laughs> they look like they're in, in wonderful financial condition but I didn't realize how much people were struggling with with student loan debt and and high housing prices and stagnant salaries so many of those like very practical things are important to start looking into in your own particular context and then began asking, what can the church do? I mean, maybe you can't do anything to help the debt load that that the students around you are carrying around, but we can be a place where students go and they realize that their worth and their value is not determined by, you know, what kind of job that they have or what their uh, checking account looks like or what, you know, you know, you're, we're, you're, they're not going to hear me talk about um, what a loser they are if they have credit card <laughs> debt because. I understand what's going on, and they'll have one place in our society where they feel valued and loved because they're a child of God, not because of what they're worth monetarily, financially. Mm -hmm. And so it's that sort of need that you can, um, that we as church leaders can always be going out and seeing what people need. It's hard. It's extremely hard when um, you're surrounded by a congregation that needs so much. I mean, there are people in your pews that uh, never stop needing, and and they're the ones that are in your doors. And so it's it's very difficult to um, to kind of you know, uh, make a turn and look toward the outside when you feel like you're giving so much and you, you, you're not able to meet the needs that are, that are right in front of you. Mm. And yet it's extremely imperative for us as, as church leaders to do just that. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. Well, Carol, this is, this is um, incredibly rich time and great advice and, um, and, and I, I guess sort of wrapping this up, um, I, I'd ask if you have any recommended, anything else that you'd recommend, readings, resources, mm-hmm. podcasts, just what else can, um, can, can um, inform or maybe push uh, from inward to outward? Mm-hmm. And what, what have you found um, along those lines? Well, I I have the honor of um, co-hosting a a podcast with Bruce Reyes Chow, and um, Landon Witsit helps to produce that. And Bruce was our former former, um, moderator of the General Assembly, and Landon is now the vice moderator of the General Assembly. And we always have um, really interesting guests on and interesting topics. And so, um, and it's just a, a very interesting um, uh, hour. You know, it, it's great because, you know, when you read a great book and you want to talk to the author, 
it, it, podcasting allows you to do that. <laughs> it's really mm. a lot of fun. So, so um, you can check out God Complex Radio. Um, some of the most interesting books that I've been reading have had to do with the environment and with technology. I learned a lot from um, Bill McKibben's work recently. Um, there is a, um, one book that he wrote, which was a pretty hopeful book um, called Deep Economy, and has a lot to say to uh, two churches, um, even though it's not written particularly for churches. There are interesting books right now on technology. I read a book by Alison Fine, and it might be a little bit dated now, but um, it is about technology and how technology can be used in activism. And as I read it, I was thinking about um, uh, how we've barely scratched the surface on what we can do with our technology and and being, um, you know, the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, and mm. and so that's uh, very interesting and and important. There's a lot of things that are are being written on technology, probably. Tribes by Seth Godin is an interesting book. He's kind of a cheerleader, and he talks about a lot about innovation and how important innovation is. Um, as far as religious books and church books are concerned, um, uh, Diana Butler Bass's work is is really helpful. She wrote Christianity for the Rest of Us. Also, she wrote another book. Um, uh, about Christian history and sort of the other side of the story, and it's a, a people's history of Christianity, and and that's a wonderful, rich resource. Um, would be great for people not only understanding how to reach out, but where that the roots of our history came from as they're reaching out. Um, so there's just a few interesting. Um, resources that I've come across have really shaped me lately. Hmm. Well, thank you so much. Um, thank you, Carol, for your outstanding ministry, uh, your time spent with me today, and your love and passion for Jesus Christ. We are all much, much richer for this experience. Uh, may God richly bless you and yours, and um, hey, have a great summer. Thank Bye. you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.